not always, well, what I will say, you know. I do want to read an article that I read, uh, that somebody gave me, uh, told me about. It was in last week's Yated, uh, June 30th, 2016, which is Thursday. I want to read something to you. This is, because uh, last week I spoke pretty extensively on Putin, that uh, what he's doing is just incredible. But you got to, uh, let me read this article. It's a short. Um, Putin, the name of the article, Putin explains the secret of Jewish survival to Rav Yitzchak Yosef, who was the chief rabbi of Israel. Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, Rav Yitzchak Yosef, recounted that when he recently attended a rabbinical conference in Moscow, he was invited with other rabbonim to attend a meeting with Russian President Vladimir Putin. According to the report, According to a report in the Israeli Haredi press, Rav Yosef said, I thought he would shake our hands and that, he would, and that would be it. But the meeting lasted for an hour and a quarter. Interesting. I mean, this is the Russian president, Vladimir Putin, meeting an hour and a quarter with Rabbonim? Anyway, but the real thing is, Rav Yosef quoted Putin as saying, and this is Putin speaking, the Egyptians with the, magi the, Egyptians with the magicians are gone, as are the Greeks with their culture, and as are the Romans. The only ones who survived are the Jews. Can you tell me why this is? Interesting. And he understands. I, the Jew, everybody's gone. The only one left is Jews. So Putin is said to have added, permit me to respond. He's going to answer his own question. He's got his answer. You survived, which means the Jews, in the merit of your Torah and your rabbis. They ought to make Putin the chief rabbi of Russia. <laughs> he doesn't say you survived. He says you survived in the merit of your Torah and your rabbis. That's incredible. It means he recognizes that the Torah is what kept the Jews uh, alive. And this is for somebody, I mean, could you imagine Brezhnev saying this? You know, you survived because of your Torah? Each guy trying to stamp out the Torah. But for him to recognize that the Torah and your rabbis means Chachamim, you know, the, the ones who are the bearers of the Torah and so on. Um, for him to recognize that the survival of the Jews is because of the merit of their Torah is just beyond belief, you know. Um, it's an article which I thought would be interesting to cap what I said last week about Putin. I mean, there's no question there's something going on here, you know. Uh, that, um, uh, I mean, the world has no inkling, obviously. There's something going on, which I believe is like what I said last week. And so on, you know. <clears throat> I want to continue today with the same current events uh, because there's certain, uh, a very important idea which I wanted to talk about. And also this week has really, uh, in a certain sense, uh, revealed something which is uh, may or may not happen we don't know but there's a possibility and I will explain that you know the first thing is that um, I, I once talked about what the concept called the creation calendar there are many simonim signs indicators that the Mashiach is near there are many you know uh, you can really collect a whole bunch of them just as a simple example and you realize why because of the creation calendar. 
Uh, one of them would be the founding of the state of Israel. You know, the fact that the Jews have a land back that they haven't had for 2,000 years is miraculous. It has never happened where a nation was exiled from their land for thousands of years and all of a sudden they get it back. The second thing, at least, is the fact that Hebrew as a language was dead for 2,000 years. I mean, nobody spoke Hebrew, I mean, I'm not talking about academically, but as a living language, nobody spoke uh, that language for 2,000 years. And the fact that it is now one of the current languages in the world is just, again, incredible. I mean, Latin, nobody talks Latin anymore, right? It passed out with uh, basically Rome, and then it continued with the academics uh, and so on, and the church and so on. But for the Hamoinam, you know, for the regular people, Latin, nobody talks Latin. These are dead languages. But Hebrew is a living, resurrected language, which is absolutely incredible. Is it the only resurrected language ever? Uh, possibly. I'm not a linguist, but it could be. I never heard of a language that's been dead for 2,000 years and all of a sudden is resurrected as a living language, which is an entire country speaks this. You know, uh, the culture is based on it, the country speaks it. I, I, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, it's unheard of, you know. So the, this, the second thing is, again, the, these things are miraculous. Uh, they've never in many ways occurred, you know. Uh, so that's a second concept, okay. Uh, another concept which, you know, you don't realize is the ingathering of the exiles. The Golis is no longer what it used to be. Most of the Jews have come back to Israel. I mean, there's millions and millions of Jews. So that itself is a tremendous sign that the exile, the Golis, is ending. You know, it's not all, you know, but certainly from the nations that persecuted the Jews for so many thousands of years, you know, for the, the, the Jews from the, uh, uh, the, Arabic, the Arabic lands, from Russia, now Jews can come back. If they want to leave, they can go. The ability of the Goyim, which is really Edoim, and Yishmuel to hold the Jews and force them to remain is basically gone. And that itself, that's called Kibbutz Goliath. So in our day, we have seen the Kibbutz Goliath, which has been predicted, of course, the Kibbutz, and I will gather you in the, the Torah, and I will gather you from the ends of the earth, wherever you are, and bring you to, the, to of course, there it's Israel. Well, we're looking at it. But it's not just that the Jews have been able to go there, you know, they have gone there. The fact is that the Jews can go there. There's no longer any political force that basically stops the Jews from not going to Eretz Israel. That's gone, you see. So that's a what? That's a third sign, you know. Um, another sign is the concept of the Internet, even though people don't understand that, because the Internet is a way of communicating globally with the entire world. So a messianic figure can easily get on the internet and communicate with the entire world. So even though it's now in the hands of what's called the clip of Tumah, but it is a device that now enables global communication. That itself, and the whole concept of wireless, that you don't have to even be plugged in anymore. You can just talk on the internet, to the, you know, without even, and you can receive that in the middle of nowhere without any wires. That's the whole concept of satellite, you know, communications and so on. You know, so uh, we're looking at a lot of a lot of different ideas. Also, the prolifer the proliferation of chokhmah. It's called hispashtus chokhmah, and the uh, Zoya talks about that. 
that it says that in the uh, 600th year of the fifth millennium, sixth millennium, which is 1840, the Zoya says, there's going to be an incredible proliferation of Chochmah. It's called Hispashtus Chochmah. And of course, 1840 is the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, the beginning of real science, you know, Michael Faraday and, what, uh, and, uh, and so on, all the scientists. And, uh, it's a revolution in science. Uh, it was a revolution in industry. There's so many things that started in 1840, basically, and so on, you know. Um, medicine, anesthesia, just incredible how much stuff started then, and so on. And that's happening. The Ispashtus Chochmah, which is what it talks about. That happens basically <coughs> at the end of days, uh, and so on. Um, so you have a lot of ideas that that are uh, that are mamish simonim indicators um, that uh, we are in the messianic era. Uh, one of them is the concept of a creation calendar, which I spoken about, but it's another indicator that we are at the end. We know what the creation calendar is. We know that there are six days of creation. Each day is parallels 1,000 years. The world, according to the Gemara, that the world will last 6,000 years. And after that, it's destroyed. It's called Chat Chorov. And, and that's the beginning of a different uh, dimension and so on. But for 6,000 years, the world will last, which parallels the six days of creation. Okay. Now, if you take a look at those six days, Thursday night, right, at 6 p.m., is equivalent to um, 1240, the year 1240. I'm not going to talk about that, but there's a tremendous amount of things that happened in 1240 or around that year, which is really messianic. But um, so, therefore, the year, five, the year um, 5000 is the English year 1240. And that's Thursday night, which is the beginning of Friday. And Friday is Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos, that's it. That's when you begin to prepare for Shabbos, which of course basically means the end. Okay? And then you have, to jump, you have uh, 5,570. 5,500. Yes, which is the English year 1740, and that's a tremendous rise in the ideas of science and so on. But you have 5,750, which is Tafshin Nun, which is 1989, September 1989, and the world has never been the same since 1989. But 1989, which is 5,750, in the creation calendar is Chatzos, 12 o'clock noon, which is very significant, because Friday at 12 o'clock noon is when the sun begins to set, never to rise again, because it's the last, literally, the last uh, period of time before the Mashiach, you see. And we know that 5,750, which is 1989 of September, Europe, the whole uh, communism, not communism, but the Berlin Wall collapsed, then communism, and then so many things have been happening in the last, since 1989, it's just astounding. And that corresponds exactly to Chatzos. 12 o'clock Friday, you see. Where are we now? We are 5,776, right? So we're, we're beyond the Chatzos, which is 12 o'clock p.m. We are now past 12.30. It's called Sheish Vachetzi. Six hours in the day and a half. And that's when you can bring the Korban, the uh, Tomid. 
and so on. Why? Because even though at 12 noon is the meridian and the sun is exactly overhead, but you don't see the shadow. But when the sun inclines slightly to the west, right? Rises and east, sets in the west. So that shadow is now discernible. You can see that. That's called Sheish Vachetzi. Six and a half hours after the beginning of, of dawn, right? And at that time begins Benar Bayim, Erev. And it says in the Navi, Vahoyuli Ace Erev, and it will be at the time of evening, Yiyah Or. There will be light. That means after 12.30, and we are about 12.40 approximately. Uh, we are 12.40. Um, every hour is 41 years and 8 months. That's how you can calculate exactly and so on, you know. But we are now approximately 12.40, which is 10 minutes even after half hour. So we really are in Beno Abayim. And we are really in Vihoyul Ace Erev. At the time of evening, there will be light. We're in that. So that's a tremendous indicator, again, of the Messianic era. We're in it. We're in the Tukufa, finally. After 12.30, we are now in that Tukufa of, of the Messianic era. Also, uh, a year ago, basically, I spoke about the blood moon. You remember that stuff? The blood moon? You know, I, I, as I very briefly said, you know, the blood moon is the concept that what? A lunar eclipse, which is when the earth is between the sun and the moon, so this, the moon darkens, right? That's a rare event. It happens like maybe once, twice, uh, every two years or something like that. Then there's what's called the blood moon that that moon, that lunar eclipse, is where the moon turns red. Whatever, for whatever reason, but that's a very rare event. For that to occur, so the lunar event itself is rare, for it to turn to blood is rare. For it to happen four times consecutively, every six months, is incredibly rare. But for it to happen on Pesach night, which is the full moon, that's when it becomes eclipse, on Pesach, and then Sukkot, and then again Pesach and Sukkot, four times, it's called the Tetrad, only happened actually now four times in 500 years. And it just happened, we know, last year, right? The blood moon. So that is incredible. And why is that incredible by blood moon? Because we know the blood moon is what? Is um, in those 500 years, the first time it happened that it's recorded basically is 1492, well, obviously, that was Columbus. And that's a messianic idea. Why? Because what Columbus did is he weakened the ability of Edom to destroy the Jews by finding a whole different section of the world. It's weakening the Edom so the Jews now can come to America and so on. You see, so 1492 is a messianic advance. The next time it happened was 1948, founding of the State of Israel. That's incredible. The next time it happened was 1967, which is, of course, when Israel got back Jerusalem. That's the 67, 7-day the, the, uh, war, you know. And then it happened last year again. So the question is, what's the messianic advance? You see? But if it's true to form, there will be a messianic advance. So it's interesting, you know, it to happen three times. I believe it could be Trump. Trump is now the one who's positioned to change America. Like I said, Tara of Edoim to defend Israel, and so on. So is that the messianic advance? Could be. But not only that, last year was a Shemitah year. 
And it says that the Mashiach will come with Tzor Shemitah, which really means that the process can begin at the end of Shemitah. And many people hold that this year is a Yovel, right? And you'll call liberty throughout the land. A Yovel is a perfect time for the Geula process, the Messianic process to advance. And I also told you, it says in Yoel. What does it say in Yoel? And I will, you know, Yoel, Perigimel, Posik Dalad, third chapter, fourth verse. And I will blot out the sun, and I will turn the moon to blood before the great and awesome day. Well, the moon to blood, that's a blood moon. And there happened to a if I remember correctly, there was a lunar, a solar eclipse also last year at that time. So when you add it all up together and all the other simonim, wow, impressive. So clearly there are many, many signs that indicate that we are really approaching an end of time. And we are really in the end of time, the travails that go on at the end of time. You know, so that, that is an important idea. Also, what's important to know is the concept of the war of Goig and Mogoig. Goig, which is predicted in Yecheskel Lamed Ches, 38. He talks about Goig from the land of Mogoig, that he will gather the nations of the world and fight to take Jerusalem. Actually, it's a war against Mashiach bin Yosef. It's a messianic war. And uh, this is predicted to happen and then he fights against Mashiach ben Yosef, and then the question is what happens at that war, and so on. But then Mashiach ben David arrives, and he destroys Goig with all his armies. And the Gematria of Goig and Mogog is 70, because he, he, he uh, uh, gathers the 70 nations of the world, or rather the 70 roots of all the nations, because even though there are over 200 nations, there are only really 70 roots. Many nations are from one root. And the Mashiach ben David destroys them, and that begins the real messianic era with the Mashiach ben David, and so on. So the question is, what does all that really mean? Uh, the concept of a war of Goig and Mogoig. What it really is, is if you look back to Egypt, Mitzrayim, after Paroi and his, the whole Egyptian army, and the whole Egypt actually was destroyed, vanquished, you know, all of a sudden Paroi decided to go after the Jews again. It's called. Uh, it's 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 in a, it's a second attempt. It's a reattempt to take over the Jews. In other words, what it is is that the tumor, the klipa, the evil, realizes its way of end is over. So what it tries to do is to resurge, reawaken, and try to again destroy Toiv. It's really a, it's a, it's like a second chance of tumor, and that's that's really what the Yamsuf was all about. Egypt tried again to subdue the Jews, and of course they were destroyed. But what it tells us is that there's a second attempt. After, even after the clip is destroyed, there's always an attempt of evil to try to reconquer Jews and to try to destroy them. And therefore that has a parallel in what's called the War of Goig and Mogoig. Goig and Mogoig is really where the nations of the world realize that their way of life is ending. Evil no longer dominates. And what they try to do is to, again, recapture or destroy toiv or good. That's what the, the concept of Goig and Mogai really is. So we know there will be a war of Goig and Mogai, as predicted by the Novi. 
question is really, what's the manifestation of that? What is that? Can we identify? Now, normally what it should be, the classic case, is going from the land of Mogoit, probably is Amaleki, Amalek. That's probably what it is, here, uh, the, that war. But it, it's clearly an attempt of the world to, again, to recapture the Jews and to try to, again, dominate them, even to destroy them. So this war of Goig Mogoig, is it possible that it happened already? Or if it hasn't, what can it look like? So that's why I want to just mention certain very important ideas because the war of Gogamogog is critical, really, for the messianic process itself. We get a hint about this in the time of Chizkiyohu. Chizkiyohu was surrounded by an enemy, Sancherev, the Assyrians. That was, I think, 185,000 Assyrians. Enormous. And uh, the Jews... I mean, it was, fin it was over for them. So what happened was, is the Rabbani Shalom performed an unbelievable miracle. What was that? In one night, they all died. I mean, there's no, not even a plague can do that. There is nothing in existence that can kill 185,000 people. Healthy people, right? Because that's who they were. They were battle, they were warriors. All healthy, or else what are they doing in the army? There's nothing that can kill 185,000 people in one night. Even the, even the Ebola or whatever, these take, these take days or, or whatever, you know, to destroy. You can't do it in one night. But obviously it was a nest. The Malach went through that camp and just wiped them all out. Okay. So the problem was that war, it says that the Russian wanted to make that the war of Goy Gamogoy. Interesting. Sancherev, with his entire army, should have been Goy Gamogoy. And therefore, Chizkiyohu would have been Mashiach whether it been Yosef, Ben David, whatever it was, if that was Goig Mogoig, he would have been the Mashiach. What happened? Because he failed to sing Shira. You know, with, with such an incredible miracle, it's like Moshe Rabbeinu and the Jews, when they got out of Egypt, they sang Shira, because the miracle that happened was such an awesome display of divine providence, of, of Hashgoch HaProtus, and the, the revelation of the Rabbani Shlach. You know, I mean, such a miracle clearly is from the hands of God. It deserves Shira. So there was a tremendous Kitrug prosecution against, and he was not Mashiach, which is interesting. What do we see? Wait a minute. How could that have been Goygumogoy, right? In order for it to be Goygumogoy, first of all, it has to be the entire world, basically. Not everybody, but, you know... Uh, Tremendous representation of mankind. The second thing it has to be is the Mashiach has to be around. You know? And not only that, he's not a Molek, I mean, he's a, a Syria. What it shows you is that it can be, it has variations or transformations that who is going to Mogoig and, and what time he appears can happen at different times. Because it could have happened then. If not for the fact that he would have sang Shira, it would have happened. But he didn't. So therefore, obviously, that was a missed opportunity. Now, actually, it does have the ingredients, if you think about it. First ingredient is that it's Assyria. Assyria was the greatest nation on earth, it's on Sancherev. 
uh, was the greatest nation on earth. So in that sense, he had invaded the entire Middle East. That was basically the entire planet. There was nobody else anywhere, you know. And he, uh, he really had, he represented the entire world. So there you are, that's basically the 70 nations, okay, uh, of, of uh, Sancherv. And the Mashiach would have been Chizkiyot. So you have the main ideas about Goygamogoy. What it tells us is that there are various forms of Goygamogoy. And that's what we see from the whole concept of Sancherv. Not only that, but you also see the whole concept, which is very important, in Tehillim, Perak Beis, and you also see the whole concept. In Tehillim, Perak Beis, is a posuk. It starts out, Why are they all getting excited? On the Rebunashlodim and on the Mashiach. That's really the war of Goygamogoy. Because that's really what they expect. Why is the entire world agitating, okay, and, and trying to make war and to destroy the Eden. That really is referring to the war of Goygamogoy, because it's the entire world, Rokshu Amim, right? And the second thing of that is not only Rokshu Amim, right, but Al-Hashem Ba'al there you are. That it's obviously a messianic war. It's a war of Goygamogoy against the Mashiach. So that Tillam clearly shows you what the major, what's called the major components of that entire war is, you see, is uh, the all the nations against the Rebunisham and against the Mashiach. Okay. So therefore we see that Sanchev could have been that war. Did it happen any time after that? Yes, there was another attempt that could have been Goy Gamogoy. Who's that? Purim. Persia, Achishverosh in Homam. There you have Achishverosh, and he was at what? He had 127 Medinas. There you are, that's the entire world. And this time you also had an Amaleki, Homan, who would join, right? And he wanted to obviously kill all the Jews, right? That's a classic Goygumogog scenario. But what country are we looking at? Persia. Interesting, right? It's Iran. That's what we're looking at. And that was truly, would have been Goygamogoy. Because Mordechai really was from Binyamin. So therefore, in many ways, he was an aspect of Mashiach bin Yosef. You see. And of course, the Jews did Shuva. So that could have been the war of Goygamogoy. In fact, what's interesting is because of the Shuva, okay, that's really brought that the four that this could be Biachishana means the Bosham hastens it. Okay. Could this really have been a, a, a Mashiach? And the answer is yes. Who was there for the Mashiach Ben Yosef, a Shurish? It was Ezra. It's interesting. Ezra came Ezra came and he brought the Jews back with him. And the truth is Ezra should have been Mashiach Ben Yosef. Why wasn't he? First of all, the war of Goy Gemogog happened before, right? Which is uh, Achashverosh and Haman against the Jews. Ezra could have been Mashiach bin Yosef. How do you see that? Because first of all, it says that if, Moshua, if the Torah was not given through Moshe Rabbeinu, it could have been given through Ezra. 
Wow. You can imagine who he must have been, Ezra, that the Bajan could have used him instead of Moshe Rabbeinu. So that shows you that he could have been Mashiach, because Moshe Rabbeinu was the Mashiach. It's not everybody that can, the Torah can be given through them. That's clearly a messianic uh, attribute. But not only that, Mashiach ben Yosef, because he's Kohen, Ezra Kohen, he was a Kohen. And Mashiach ben Yosef, maybe, is a Levi, could be, not from Yosef. Doesn't have to be. Mashiach ben Yosef does not have to be from Yosef. Only Mashiach ben David has to be from David, because he's a king, so you have to follow, follow that lineage. But Mashiach ben Yosef, he's in charge of the education of Klai Yisrael, the Gil of the Awe. So he does not have to be uh, a Yosef. He could be, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was a Levi, right? Aaron Akoyan was a coin, but before that he became a coin. He was a Levi, right? That today's Pasha Koyach had the whole complaint. What are you making your brother for? You know, he's, uh, and so on, right? Um, uh, and Ezra was a coin, yeah, and so on. Um, in any case. But is it possible that maybe Daniel was Mashiach Daniel? Yeah, because according to some Midrashim, Homan killed him. Homan killed Daniel? Yeah. That's interesting. Oh yeah, because yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, he was Chavayno um, Hamdos, whatever. Yeah, Chavayno, not Hamdos. Chavayno, yeah, yeah, Hasoch, yeah, yeah, Hasoch, uh, whatever. Okay, but in any case, uh, because there's a Rashi in Yecheskel, I think it's in Perak Mem Gimel. Rashi says he says that the when Ezra came back, that he could have been the Mashiach. He could have been Mashiach. So why wasn't he? Because so only 70,000 Jews came back with him. That was it. The rest decided to hang out in Bovel. They decided to remain in Bovel, whatever, okay, or wherever they were, uh, you know, Persia, whatever, and they didn't come back with him. So because of that, since it wasn't the end of time, but rather the Jews had to deserve the Mashiach, deserve the Mashiach, he could not be the Mashiach because they failed to utilize the Messianic opportunity. And Rashi says that. And uh, it's called the Bir Shnia, so therefore he was not Mashiach. But again, wait a minute, how could he be Mashiach if there's no Gogamogoy? And the answer is, there was. There was Homan Ahashverosh against uh, Klai Yisrael. So we see again that the that Gogamogoy war can be variations of form. Like I showed you, Chizkiyo is one, and now we have Homan. Okay? Where else could we see this? Well, I'll tell you, the, the, not the latest, but it's clearly one of the opportune times of Mashiach ben Yosef, or rather the war of Goy Gemogoyk. I'm trying to show you that there's a lot of wars against the Jews that could be Goy Gemogoyk. I'm, I'm leading up to something. Let me tell you the third. There probably was, there was another one, by the way. Hanukkah is another attempt. Well, I'll get into Hanukkah, but uh, let me tell you what I think the latest attempt. <clears throat> There's a Gemara Megillah. 
Gemara Megillah says that there's a nation called Germamia Shel Edom. Gemara Megillah Davov. It says there's a nation called Germamia Shel Edom. Germamia of Edom. Okay? And it says that that nation is incredibly militaristic. And if they ever were gathered together, right, they could destroy the entire world. That's how strong they are. Okay? And it says Yaakov Avinu was mispalel that they shouldn't uh, have that opportunity to gather together, wait, to gather together and therefore destroy the world. It says Yaakov Avinu was mispalel for that. And remember, the Gemara, this Gemara was written 2,000 years ago. The question is, who is Gemara Mishal Eddon? So in the back of the Gemara, there's a commentary of Rabbi Yaakov Emden. And he says an amazing thing. He says, Kimeduma, it appears to me that this Gimam Yishal Edom is Ashkenaz Shalonu, our Ashkenaz, which of course is Germany. Yeah. So Gimamya, a mem can become a nun in Hebrew. So it's not Gimamya, it's Gimanya, which is Germany. This one, Bene Gaimer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mother is also Bene Yes, yeah. But the interesting thing about it, so he says, he identifies this nation militaristic with Germany, which is interesting. Now, it's interesting, the Gemara is 2,000 years old. How did Gemara know about Germany 2,000 years ago? I mean, if in fact, if he's right that this is Ashkenaz, they're calling it Germania Yishel Edoim. That's Germania, right? How do they know about this? And the answer is, because Germany goes back to the times of the Romans. Germany was called the Germanic barbarians, or the Germanic tribes. They were in the northern Europe, and the Gemara refers to them, that these nations, and they were called barbarians, tremendously militaristic. I once read that, you know, when they used to have weddings, you know, we come <coughs> in and we get dressed up with our ties and jackets, they used to come with their battle uniforms to the weddings, you know, with the clubs and the swords. This is how they celebrated a wedding, to show their military might, you know. Uh, and the Gemara refers to Germany, which was then Germany. And the Gemara says that these people, which is northern Europe, right, people from the north, they are so hostile and so militaristic that they could take over the entire world. And like I said, Yaakov prayed that they shouldn't do it. And the Gemara says that these three, the, this nation has 300 chieftains, which means that there are tribes, 300 tribes, and each one has a chief. But it's really one uh, nation, it's, we can call it almost a clan, you know, but um, um, 300 chieftains, uh, and th that's what they are. Okay. What is interesting is that there was a Time Magazine article, uh, I think it was 1953, that said that who united Germany? Germany used to be all kinds of little principalities. There was Bavaria, Thuringia, you know, uh, Westphalia. There's a whole bunch of them. So, uh, so along came Bismarck, I think, in 1972 or whatever. 1972, what I'm talking about. 1872, and under the under uh, Kaiser, not Kaiser, um, the em Emperor we, uh, William the First, I think, it was. Anyway, he united all the principalities of Germany. And he united them into one nation. How many principalities did he unite? 
So Time Magazine mentions 300. That's interesting, huh? That's called bingo. In modern-day parlance, it's called bingo, right? It says that he united 300 principalities, because that's how many there were. You know, little, what do you call it, little, uh, you know, uh, lordships and all that, principalities and so on, you know. But clearly Germany is Germam Yishel Edoim, Germam Yishel Edoim, you know. Um, how do we look at this? What's the usage of that, really, you know? What the Bansham did was very interesting. We think that the war of Goy Gemogoy is going to start at some day in the future. No, not at all. The war of Goy Gemogoy already started. You know, it started with World War I, which destroyed hundreds and hundreds of Jewish communities in Europe. <coughs> and certainly World War II. You see, so World War I really is the first phase of Goy Gemogoy. World War II is the second phase. And if you think about it, it's the entire world. So in World War I, right, Germany destroyed hundreds of Jewish communities. In fact, after World War I, Jewish life was never the same. That's how many communities were destroyed. In World War II, of course, Hitler's only purpose, really, basically, was to destroy the Jews. He was obsessed with the destruction of the Jews. You see, why would a guy be obsessed like that? You know, you know. Okay, he obviously was crazy. He's a madman, psychotic. He was a. It uh, wasn't delu. It wasn't well. He was delusional. There's no question about that. He's a paranoid, delusional person, and so on. Obsessed with the destruction uh, of the Jewish people. What does that mean? That's messianic. That is the second stage of goygamogoy. And Hitler, Machshemoy, is Amalek, basically. You know, uh, he's uh, uh, Germany, as we see that, that nation of Gemam Yeshel Edoim is really Amalek. That's really who they are. And he was obsessed with killing the Jews. And, you know, there's a whole, co uh, we, we, you see that there's a whole code. Uh, it's a famous code that clearly indicates that his ten ministers, right, really a Gilgulim of the ten sons of Haman, you know, and he therefore would be Haman himself, and so on. But in any case, I don't know if you are familiar with the code. It, was, it hadn't been around for a while, but it was famous in the, in, in the old days. Yeah, the large, that there, there are several letters that are large, uh, and so on, you know. Um, you want me to repeat the code? No. What? I don't, know, I don't know if it was him or maybe some other people. It was, it was the Bible codes. Yeah, they were large. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're written large, you know. You know, uh, Because the problem is that she, Esther, when she asked Ahasuerus to, to hang the sons of Haman, the problem is they already were hung. They already died, you see. So it's problematic. What do you mean? They're already dead. What do you, what, why are you asking Ahasuerus to hang them again? You see, and um, so that that's a problem. And so some people say they died, but they were not hung. He, she requests that they be hung, so everybody should see, you know, that that, that they paid with their lives and so on. The ten sons of Haman. Um, but what's interesting is that they brought that as a code, because in the in the ten sons of Haman, 
you know, there's a vov that's large, vizoso, but there are certain letters that are large, okay? Um, which corresponds to the Nuremberg Trials. Which corresponds to 1946, right? And 1946 was the Nuremberg Trials, right? And the ten ministers of Hitler were all hung. And of course they bring the concept, well, what about he had a daughter, you know? He also had a daughter, where was she in the lot, you know? And they, they, I think it was Goring, or was it Goebbels? One of those two was a trans, a trans not a transvestite, he was a cross-dresser, you know, and he committed suicide, just like he committed suicide, because she threw herself off the roof when she dumped all the stuff on, on her father, Haman, thinking he was Mordechai. But anyway, so you see clearly that if the ten ministers, right, of, Hom of, of Hitler, uh, is the ten sons of Gilgal of Haman, right, then he's Haman. But in any case, the main, main idea is that this war really is the war of Goig. Why would the Moshe <coughs> divide it in three? Because the war of Goig and Moga is, is a terrible war. In that war, the Gemara says that only one or two families of a city will survive in terms of Jews. It's a slaughter of Jews. And not only that, the Mashiach ben Yosef is supposed to die in that war. So what the Barashan did is very interesting. What he did is see, in order to uh, make that war not as, uh, as brutal, what he did is he divided the war into three parts. The first part was World War I, and the second part was World War II. So really those two parts, which are Goigamoga, stage one and stage two, or phase one and phase two, right, absorbed most of the terrible atrocities that that war would have. And it really was the entire world, because Hitler united, basically. I mean, the whole Europe was against the Jews. And each one, America and so on, contributed in England. Uh, the terrible, uh, what do you call it, terrible um, uh, damage to the Jews by refusing them entry, and so on. So really, the, the whole world was against the Jews. Again, that is an uh, a, uh, uh, indicator of Goy Gomogoy. The only one who's missing is Mashiach. Maybe. There's just there's another interesting connection between Purim and Nuremberg. It's in the H. Hattori Discovery Catalog. Yeah, go ahead. That striker, the last one. Yeah, oh, he wanted to say Purim Fest, yeah. Yeah, I didn't say it. He said that, that's how that, that, yeah. Purim Fest, how does he know? Yeah, when they were hanged, right before they hung him, he said Purim Fest, because he obviously saw the similarity between ten, ten ministers being hung and him and the Ten Sons of Haman. But it doesn't really answer the question. I mean, what has become, you know, become a Bible scholar when he's being hung? doesn't really answer the question. Bizarre. Oh, that's a very good question. Why wasn't Hitler hung? Hitler wasn't hung. Oh, he killed himself. Oh, I'm saying he's well, Hung was killed long before that, you know. He was killed here like, like almost a year before, you know. But the main idea, but just to show you, I think I mentioned that uh, how obsessed he was <coughs> killing the Jews, right? Hum, uh, Hitler, uh, they came, the generals came to him toward the end of the war and they said, we're losing the war, you know. So he said, what's, what's the problem? She said, because we need to ship the troops to the front, and what you're doing is taking, putting all the Jews in the, in the railroad cars and putting them in concentration camps. We don't have any railroad cars. 
know, we, 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 you, you're stopping us from winning the war. That's what they told him. You see? So what did Hitler tell them? Get lost. He couldn't care less. And this is the guy who said that, uh, that Germany is going to be a thousand-year Reich, third, the, you know, the Reich is the third Reich, whatever, it's going to be a thousand years. He actually sacrificed the victory of Germany in order to destroy the Jews. That, that's almost psychotic. And it's funny because Germany doesn't understand that Hitler was one of the greatest betrayers of German history. You can imagine he sacrificed the victory of Germany to what? To kill the Jews. He wouldn't let up one railroad car to bring the troops to the front. Nope, you got to ship the Jews to the concentration camps. Just shows you the obsession how man could be, you know, because you realize one thing. You know who Hitler really was? Hitler was a messianic figure. Now before you look at me and say I'm out of my mind, you don't realize something. A messianic figure is a figure that is anointed to be the essential messenger of whoever sends him, right? The Mashiach is the essential messenger of God to bring in the revelation of God, the Shekhinah, right? The Satan also has a Mashiach, you see? It simply means that his anointed one is Hitler. That's who it was. So it's amazing to watch that what he did is he brought out his anointed one, his, his, his messianic, his Mashiach of evil, to destroy the Jews. But that's so you, what you're really looking at in World War I, World War II, is the war of Goy Gamagoyk, in order to remove a great deal of the brutality that the Gemara talks about is destined for the real war of Goy Gamagoyk. You see. So that's why the Rabbanshim split it. Now, I had said this, what I just told you now, a long time ago. I realized this in 1987, a long time ago. But then later on, I saw a tremendous proof to what I said. It's written in the Lev Eliyahu, this idea in the back of the Sefer. It says there that Rebbe Chonon Basman, before he, uh, he, you know, uh, he, he visited London, then he went back to Kovna where they killed him and so on. But anyway, he went to London and he was in a shul giving a drusha. So they begged him not to go back to Europe because they knew. I mean, they already, they knew already this, uh, I think it was 1938 or 39 or whatever and so on. So they begged him not to go back because he's going to be killed. So he said, no, he's going back because he doesn't want to leave his Tamidim, whatever. So he said, I want to tell you something. You guys are making a mistake. Uh, Rabbi Chonobas was saying this to the uh, shul in London. And he said, do you make a mistake? He said, I heard from the Chofetz Chaim. And he said this, that the war of Goy Gomogog is divided into three parts. And I'm reading this. I said, wow, was I machavan to him, right? The war of Goy Gomogog is divided into three parts, World War I and World War II, okay? So what Rabbi Khan of Asma was trying to bring out is that what's the difference? You think you're safe in London? What's the, of course, this Gorgamogog is a war that's going to spread throughout the whole world. And he was right. They bombed London. If it wasn't for Nisim, that the Muslim had Rahmanus on England, London would be finished. You see. But in any case, so, the, so then he continues, the Abakhan of Asman continues and says, and the third war, oh, so he says in the first two wars, you know, uh, you're going to have tremendous destruction. 
it's divided into three. <coughs> and then the third war between Goyik and Mogoik is when that's when Goyik from the land of Mogoik will appear. He's also called Armilus. And he will war with Kaisul and Meshik and Yosef. And he said that'll be in the future, but it doesn't say when. Which is interesting, you know. But uh, in any case, so the Chofetz Chaim says claw that World War One and World War Two is the war of Goyk and Mogoik, except it absorbed the brutality and therefore it was two stages before. But the last stage will have the Mashiach ben Yosef and it will have Goyk from the land of Mogoik. So we see, therefore, that uh, Germany, those wars, is the war of Goyk and Mogoik. But what's interesting is that in that war, you talk ahead. Hitler, who's the Amaleki. You talk to see that in that war and so on. Anyway. Who was the going to be Mashiach in World War II? What was that? Who was going to be Mashiach in World War II? Um, unknown. You don't have to have because it's three parts, so it's all leading up That's to right. one. What I think is that uh, there was nobody, Roy, but in the first two parts, you don't have to have that. You just have to have the world against the Jews. And the last one is when you have to have Mashiach bin Yosef. And that's what makes it the war of Goig and Mogoig. So what does the third war look like? The third world war? Hmm. It will be a conflict. Well, I'm going to talk about that now. Okay? So I gave you several. I gave you Chizkiyo is one, Purim is, t- uh, what do you call it, uh, Purim is two, Germany is three, right? And we're now looking at what's, what's about to come up. Therefore, we understand that what's interesting is a medrash. I told you the medrash, where it says that in the week that Ben David Bo, in the week that he comes, it doesn't mean a week, it could mean the seven-year cycle, and it says that Poras, which is Iran, is going to incite a war against <coughs> Arov, Arabia, right? And Arabia, Arov, is going to seek counsel with Edoim, and then Poras is going to begin to destroy the world, and then all the world will be frightened, obviously. And Israel also will say, we don't know where to go and so on, what to do. And then it says, a Basco comes out and says, Higiyaz Mangulaschem, the time of your redemption has arrived. And the question is, what do you mean the time of our redemption has arrived? That's simply the war of Yishmuel, you know, against the world. So what does it mean that the time of your redemption has arrived? But what it really means is, that is Goyg and You see? I believe that Poras, the war with Iran that is coming up, from Iran to the entire Jewish people, I may swear they're going to kill the Jews, right? And you're talking about um, uh, the, with nuclear weapons. Obviously, that's how they're going to do it. That is the, next, that is the final Goyg and war. In other words, I believe that Iran will be Goyg from the land of Mogoyg, whatever. Now, what about the whole world? Well, guess what? Who's going to be the whole world? The whole world is going to be who? All the Muslim nations, because they're all going to join, right? They're all going to join Iran, right? So you have the Iran, you have the Muslim nations, and of course you're going to join, and what's really the whole world? The UN. The UN will join with Iran and so on, because Israel will be doing two incredible things in that war. The first thing we'll be doing is killing the Arabs because, and the, all the people attacking them. And I believe the second thing is part of the people who attack the Muslims, as I mentioned, is the Israeli Arabs. And therefore they will evict all the Arabs. 
And that's going to drive the world crazy. You see? And that clearly qualifies for the Goygamogig war. And if that's true, we, have, we now see how the whole world will be involved, right? If that's true, then you have to have Mashiach ben Yosef. He's got to be right around the corner. Why can't it be that Iran will attack other nations as well? They, they, well, they will threaten other nations, that's true, yeah. But the real, we know what they're really after. They want to wipe out Israel, you know? You know, I, I, I remember one day, I, it's not that, look, ISIS wants to become a caliphate. But Iran that is not really dreaming of that. Iran wants to become the, the nation in the Middle East. That's what they really want to become. First, you know, because they're not going to take on the world. They know they can't. But they certainly want to destroy Israel and rid the Middle East of the Jewish people. That's the real thing that they really want to do. So in, in that sense, uh, they will threaten the world, you know, that they should not uh, uh, go against Iran. I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, political intrigue. But that certainly will qualify as the war of Goyg and Mogoyg. In that case, Goyg and Mogoyg will be Iran, okay, to war against Israel. Also, what's possible, even though <coughs> it's, it's, it's a conjecture, because right now Israel is partnering with a lot of the Arab nations, you know, Saudi Arabia, because they're Sunnis. The Sunnis realize that Iran, which is Shiite, wants to take over the whole Arab world, and the Sunnis and the Shiites hate each other. You see? So, what was that? They don't hate the Jews just to set amount. Who? The Sunnis and the Shiites. Oh yeah, sure. The so why, what would stop them from banding together? Because, because they're afraid that Iran, which is Shiite, wants to take over them also. So therefore, you know, like the friend of, if you're, you know, enemy the, of my enemy. Yeah, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. All of a sudden, the enemies become friends. But it's very possible, which is interesting although it hasn't happened, that Iran will try to placate and appease the Sunnis in order to try to destroy the uh, Israel. You know, somehow I, the Arabs, you know, I, I, uh, Iran, uh, Saudi Arabia may be fooled into that, you know. But certainly, uh, it doesn't mean all the Arabs will attack the Jews. So they're not all Rishoyim, you know. But <coughs> really, there are many people that will attack the Jews. I mean, talking about, you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, Iraq, Iran, you know, Lebanon, Hamas, Al-Qaeda, you know, a, a, a tremendous amount of, and all the other Arab nations around the world, they're all going to join, you know, because it's now, this, they'll all recognize it as the great war between Yishmael and the Jews. This is our last attempt to rid the world, finally, of the Jewish people. So there'll be hundreds of, who knows, millions and millions of people trying to destroy Israel. You know, and you'll have the UN, of course, siding with them because they all want the cash. And anyway, they're all anti-Semites anyway. But this is what's going to. Uh, what, what, so that 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 war can easily qualify as going and going. And that war is less than 15 years away, if you think about it. You know, and that's one of the reasons why I believe that Trump and Putin, that their job is in many ways to protect to protect the Jews. What you see, which is interesting, is that the Bansham is weakening many of the nations, so Israel will be victorious. When you take a look at Europe, Europe, Europe Brexit, the British <coughs> exit from Europe is severely weakens the European Union, because they're the greatest military of Europe, 
and they're the second greatest economy, you know. And besides, I don't know if you realize that, but Europe is dying because Europe, most of the people in Europe are old. The, the, the population growth rate is less than the replacement rate, which means that as time goes on, most of the people in Europe are going to be old people, and old people anyway, you know, they're going to war, they just want to retire and hang out, you know. So Europe anyway is dying, and then besides that, Europe's dying because all the Muslims are immigrating. I mean, it's, it's, it's astounding what's happening. We know Muslims never assimilate. So they're going to wipe out, they, they're going to try to destroy Europe. I mean, what's, what's going to come up in the next 15 years is going to be absolutely astonishing. Why is everything yeah. happening with extreme Hester? You think about it, these messianic events are really should be replete with Nisim, but as time goes on, it seems more and more Hester. And things are happening yeah, because political the, means and, and, you know... Yeah, because the force that is always against the messianic advancements is always a sudden, because his days are doomed. I told you a long time ago, right, four or five lectures ago, shooting ago, that the sudden is dying. So if the Sutton gets wind about what's happening, he doesn't want this to happen, you know. Um, he's trying desperately to get the Jews to sin, so he's he can, slipping it in behind the scenes. Yeah, that's what it all is. Yeah, it's a slipping tool. So there's no kitrugim to try to stop the entire thing and so on, you know. But um, so therefore, we see therefore that the war coming up can easily be qualified for goig and mogoig which it really was, Purim is really what, that's really what it was, and therefore we are very close to the end. That's another indicator, you know. And the Medrash says, <coughs> the time of your redemption has arrived, that's it, you know. This is really, in the end, a tremendous uh, thing that, that are happening and so on, you know. But there's something else that has to happen before, Which, I ha which you, you have to understand that the Mashiach cannot come without this happening. It cannot come without this happening. And you see that, and I, I have to talk about that, um, but it's going to, I have to move it to another shear, next shear. Um, and that is, something has to happen in terms of the Mashiach, in terms of the world, Mashiach, the Jewish people, and Eretz Israel, before the Mashiach comes or else the world cannot receive the Mashiach. They have to be ready for a messianic introduction, or else the Mashiach will kill them all. Sounds interesting. But you have no idea what the Mashiach is going to do. And if the Mashiach ever came to Klai Israel, they'd all die. Because they could never accept that awe, that unbelievable spiritual enlightenment that he's going to bring, they'd all die. And that's what happened really by Matan Terah. They all died, you know. And it's not just the Jews, everybody will just drop dead. It's incredible, you know. Because what he's going to do, you know, it's like, it's like a, a, take a, remember, take a New Guinea, a guy in 19, the first time they ever saw a white man was 1953, I think, you know. Imagine taking a guy from New Guinea, you know, they, they're all naked, half these guys, you know. It's like, you know, I don't think they have a number that goes past four or something like that, you know. He's incredibly primitive, you know. Imagine taking a guy, you know, like that type of a primitive person and putting him, right, in, uh, you know, in Manhattan, Fifth Avenue. He'd have a heart attack. He could never assimilate what was going on. It's incredible. I mean, you know, 
the buildings, the, you know, the guys of, of smartphones, computers, it's like cars. I'm like, he's never seen any of this. So to take him and expose him to this unbelievable civilization, he, 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 couldn't, he could never assimilate that. This is nothing compared to what the Mashiach is going to reveal. So then how could he come? You see. So in order to understand that, which I believe is imminent and has to happen, or else the Mashiach cannot come, and I believe this is part of the reason for the delay period of Obama, why he's giving Iran 15 years to do this, uh, has to happen before. And uh, that's what I want to talk about um, in the next year, uh, uh, about this idea. And that will sort of like I think should Basically. bring bring to close this whole current events uh, so shield and so on. You know, the basic idea. Or it's that is the basic idea. But what needs to come? <laughs> oh, also, let me tell you something. Next week I will not be here. You guys are gonna have to wait two weeks for this. Sounds late. What? Hope it sounds late. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, actually, I, I, I do, I want to mention one thing. I, actually, I, you know, it's late. You can mention it. We're on the edge of the seat. This week, something has happened which is profoundly disturbing. Dallas. And I suspected this would happen. What? Dallas? No, not Dallas. Dallas just shows you who Obama is. He's destroying the country with racial divisions. It's beyond belief what a president is capable of doing. You know, um, it's tragic what happened. It's unbelievable what happened. He's destroying the country. Um, no, that it's not. It's not. It's Hillary. I mean, Hillary was exonerated. You know that, right? You guys are up with this, right? You're, what it means is terrible news. I suspected a long time already. And and it, it, the problem is, is that nothing is etched in stone. Everything I'm saying now may not happen. Not in the way I'm saying it. Why? The problem is, is that things are always shifting and changing based on the behavior of the Jews in many ways. You see, you know, Hillary was exonerated. If you realize what that means, it was an incredible corruption of justice. That's what it was. And everybody sees that, you see. I mean, this guy is James Comey. It's astounding what he did. I mean, his mom has corrupted judgment. That's what he did. And what he said was that, well, he laid out a case of total prosecution, gross negligence. And in, 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 uh, in uh, possessing uh, uh, top secret information, which she had, he said that she had over 100 classified, and at least uh, eight of them were top, top secret. And they were just displayed on her unprotected... Uh, Service it's beyond belief. Um, and he said that it's gross negligence, and you don't, you do not need intent. That law, you do not need any intent. Of course, she intended to use a, a server, and how a secretary of state could not know that she would be hacked is un unbelievable. I mean, it's like it be, you couldn't, you can't even make this stuff up. That a secretary of state doesn't know what an unprotected server her private email server, that anybody can hack it, is beyond belief, you know. But she didn't care, because that's who she is. But he exonerated me, and he laid a case to, <clears throat> to that she's a felon, and he said, but nobody's going to convict her, which is a lie. 
because any any first year law student can convict her. You know, even Rudy Giuliani said that she's guilty of at least 12 to 14 felonies based on what she did. Anybody would have been fired and put in jail for what she did. It's astounding. And uh, so what he did was a tremendous corruption of justice. What James Comey did, and he will forever... And, uh, it's, it's terrible to watch an FBI guy who used to have tremendous integrity pull this kind of stunt. In any case, and besides that, it's none of his business if the, uh, the Attorney General, Loretta Lynch, is going to prosecute or not. Your job is to investigate and show what the evidence shows, and that's all. What's your, how could you say we don't recommend prosecution? It's none of your business. Let the Attorney General say what they want to do. What the hell of a man to lay down and say, well, we, 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 we think nobody's going to prosecute that? How dare you corrupt the justice? Let, let the Attorney General decide. Your job is investigative to provide the evidence, not to decide if it deserves prosecution. Now, how awesome this man is beyond belief. But the, anyway, that's Comey. He's all, he's also detainous adin for what he did. But the real idea is Loretta Lynch, which is, uh, it's incredible. She meets with Bill Clinton a week ago. You guys hear this? And they're talking about grandkids. Oh, yeah, sure, right? She and Bill Clinton meet on the tarmac in Phoenix in her private jet, right? And they talk about the grandchildren? Oh, of course. It was totally inappropriate for an attorney general to meet the spouse of somebody who's being considered for indictment. How do you do that? So, of course, Bill Clinton, uh, there's no question that this happened. It's my opinion. It's obvious, you know. Clinton said to, excuse me, remember I appointed you at the, 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 the attorney general for some district and so on? You know, not only that, guess what? If you exonerate my <coughs> wife, don't prosecute her, of course, you'll be the next attorney general. Well, what's a shiny? He bribed her. No question in my mind that he did that, of course. I mean, and now, how could an attorney general know that? You, it's forbidden to do that. You can't meet with the spouse. Of, and I mean, he's under investigation, too, because his whole foundation is criminal. You know, they've been using Hillary to buy her off, all the, uh, you know, Wall Street, you know, right? To buy her off, and then all of a sudden she gives favors to all these people. I mean, it's like you can't even make this stuff up. It's so incredible, right? So, and of course, the, the whole thing is... Such a bag of corruption and sheker. Oh, oh, wait. So uh, that, that was incredibly disturbing to me. Why? Not only for the corruption of justice. And of course, the ringleader of all this is Obama. Because everybody knows you can't indict the only Democratic nominee. But who are you going to put? Who? That, 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 that loser, what's his name? Sanders. Sanders? Insane. No, that, that guy, who's the first one? They put a blue loser like Joe Biden, you know what I'm saying? And Sanders forget about because he's out of his mind. He's a, he's a communist. So then who would they pit, pick? So it's, of course, everybody knew that there has to be a corruption. But to see it done is beyond belief, you see. And of course Hillary's laughing all the way to the presidency. So not only, not only can she be elected president, which is beyond belief, but the incredible thing is she will now have, have access to all the top secret documents you know, so maybe she'll have a private server when she's president. Who knows? I, I, I can't even go into the, the obvious, the injustices that these people have done. And the problem with these guys is they're all high of Misa. Because one of the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach has din. So what they have done is not, is not only, that what they have done, not only exonerating a felon. She's an unindicted felon, really, right? But they have made a mockery of justice. And not only that, they now say that this is called the Hillary defense. 
Now, anybody caught with top secrets can't be indicted. Why? Because they say, hey, you got Hillary got off. What do you want from me? They're calling it the, the lawyers are calling it the Hillary defense. Are you believe this, these guys? They're what? Of course. They're all, of course the world. And not only, uh, of course, and by act, by chance, right, two hours after Comey gave that, Obama and, Obama and Hillary were on his jet going to campaign for her in North Carolina. You know? Why didn't you at least wait a day? Because he knew already. Because <laughs> they all knew. The whole thing is Shekhar because of... I mean, what Comey should have done, but whatever, he should have said, we recommend indictment. What that would have done, it would have forced the DOJ, <coughs> the Department of Justice, to indict her or to put her on trial. Because if they didn't, with the FBI's uh, recommendation, she could not have said no, because the whole country would have been in an uproar. But now she could say, what do you want from me? If the FBI, Comey said, not to, not to no recommend indictment. It just, the, the planning is incredible. So he would have gone down his history. You know, John, John Kennedy wrote a book called Profiles of Courage, where he brings down a whole bunch of biographies of people who had incredible courage against unbelievable odds. They stood up against the whole Robin. You know, Comey would have been in that book. Because he would have stood up to the Obama, Lynch, the whole Department of Justice. Because they would have to have put her, indicted her, put her on trial. Because what could she say? She said she would follow the recommendation of the FBI. Of course she had to say that, right? And, and, and he would have said that, she would have had to follow it, there would have been an indictment, and because, what could she say? And the whole country would have gone crazy because they would have known clearly that the whole thing is corrupt. But he didn't do that. He capitulated because he probably wants to be the FBI head in the Clinton administration. It's all Sheikh because of. But they're all Chayev Misi, you should know, because they were Mavaza Din. It's one thing if you Mavaza Din embarrass or corrupt justice privately, but they did it in front of the entire United States. You don't want to know what God is going to do to these people, all of them. Anyway, but to me it was very disturbing for another reason. Why? I'll tell you why. And I, and I was worried something like this was going to happen. What does that mean? And I'll just tell you this. Uh, America's dying. They are incredibly immoral. They permitted gays, that crazy Arthur Kennedy permitted gays you can't discriminate against them. And he made it a constitutional tenet, which is now you can't even overthrow the, you can't overthrow the Constitution. You need a whole constitutional convention and all by the states and all that, whatever. So that's the first incredible outlaw that America did, that they made it, con that gays are protected constitutionally against discrimination. The second thing they did is same-gender marriage. You want to be gay, one thing, but excuse me, same-gender marriage? That's the second incredible immoral thing, right? And the th third thing that, that, that Ashton Carter, whatever guy's name is, that transgenders now can serve in the military. I mean, it's beyond belief. Can you imagine you're in a foxhole and the guy next to you is a transgender? So you don't know how to, should I call you he or she? Now, well, I, I don't know what to do, you know? I, and I, in any case, so I suspected that the Bunch of did take it out on America. Because America has now entered the same thing the world was by the marble, Shino Zoho, which means that an enormous amount of this, 
So Bansham will not tolerate this because it means no reproduction is going on. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's Chayv Misa, right? The yeah. symbol of the gaze is a rainbow. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. Yeah, yes. so they mean, they mean lesbian, gays, LGB, lesbian, gays, bisexual, and, transge- and transgender. You know, that's what they mean. But unconsciously, right, what they really mean is, you promised you would not destroy the world, right? Because of us, we remind you of your promise. Because you know, we know that we really dis- we, we deserve to be destroyed. <laughs> it's like they, they live near the water. No, no, it's like it's it's like they 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 they. Uh, <laughs> it's like look, we want to sin, and we realize that this sin means the destruction of the planet, right? So we want to remind you, excuse me, you promise, you don't break your promise, right? Hashem lokechem ms, right? Uh, you can't destroy us. I mean, it's a haoza of people to look at God and to use. But of course, they mean it as the rainbow means the, all the different kinds of oizvov, uh, you know, uh, all the uh, different kinds of. Oh, oh, wait. So I was wondering, wait, what's Hashem going to do? Right? He's going to he's going to really subject America terribly now, because not only is America immoral, immoral, and everything else. But America is the, is the model for the entire world. The whole world can say, hey, America, the most advanced civilization, they're all gays and all that stuff. What's the, what's the problem? We want to be there too. So America is really the trendset of the entire planet. No, yeah, they're going to fight for them. It's like they're going to fight for democracy. Yeah. They're going to fight for all the countries. So my feeling is that the Bunchman is going to get them back, which means the entire United States. But the shot is how. So we've been watching a lot of weather extremes. I, which is interesting, you know, because we really weather extremes. I just had in Virginia something like that, a massive rain and all that. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, but weather extremes, I mean, America's 3,000 miles long. But you know how you can destroy America? I realized it. Hillary. There you are. Hillary, even with everything I've been saying, right, it's very possible that the zero has come around and said, it's true, we need America and Trump to protect Israel. Everything I just told you, right? But there's an alternative, that he may decide to destroy America, turn it to a banana republic. <clears throat> Why? Because that's what they deserve. And the easiest way to destroy America is to continue the legacy of Obama. The easiest way. And Hillary exactly is that. So it's possible that all these shulam I've given won't happen. Because it could be that the zero now is America has to be destroyed. And what bothers me, she's winning. I mean, it's that was they say, you know, she beat the rap. Everybody was hoping that they would get her on the emails. But now she beat that, right, with an incredible display of corruption, <coughs> right? And uh, also, I don't know if she's ahead in the polls, because they, they may be lying through their teeth, which they probably are. Uh, but now it's very worrisome. Because all this that Trump could have promised with Putin, whatever, and so on, all the stuff I've been saying, may not even come to pass. Because America has violated the most essential ingredient, right, for the civilization to endure. And that is uh, the the, the entire uh, gay movement. Everything. Rome was destroyed because of that. And Greece and the marble killed the entire planet, you know. Uh, So is this what the Muslim is going to do? where Hillary become president to destroy America. 
and she will destroy America. She's an incompetent, corrupt, megalomaniac, narcissist woman. You know? And that's mixash vachoy. That's only part compliments. What? Somebody wrote me that the Gemapi of Hilo, I don't know if it's true. Anybody want to figure it out? The Gemapi of Hillary is the same as the Gematri of Clinton. But he also mentioned that it's the same Gematri as Amolekio, of female Amolek. I don't know if it's true. I didn't figure it out yet. Somebody wants to add it up? Well, if she's an Amolekia, you know. No, he's not really a Molek. He's somebody else. But um, anyway, I just, that's, I just want to backtrack and say that we have no idea what's about to happen. We'll know in November, but it's possible that the zero is that America wants it should be destroyed, and Hillary will destroy it. She has no clue as to how to govern. What no I, clue. You said before on all the terror that you, that's what made you um, assume that David Shum wants to make America great again. Yes, but like, like I told you, yeah, the motion shifts. What? They're both 255. They're both who? 255. The Gematria. The Gematria. Is 255? Yeah. And Amulekia? Is it? Yeah. Okay. So the Gematria of Hillary is 255. So Clinton, 255. Hillary is 255. But Amoleki is, is a male. Amulekia is a female. That's Mamash. Uh, she's a female Amolek, which would be astounding, you know. But in any case... This is very worrisome. I was extremely disturbed because it's a real possibility that America may, uh, the Russian may take out America because of the terrible corruption of, of, uh, of morality that they've done. Why is she helping the Jews in New York? She's not only here. She's not interested in Jews. What do you mean there? Well, she had the New York vote for all the Jewish people in New York. Because they vote Democratic. Exactly. But, but why? Because she, she does stuff for them. No, but she, when she was the senator. New York. Why, does, why do Jews, why do Jews always vote Democratic? Do you know why? Oh, I'm saying that she herself. Remember, next week there's no shear. Next year is two weeks. And I will continue, assuming Trump will be president. But actually, Putin's our guy because he doesn't have an election coming up. He's there. He's solid. You don't have to worry about that. Because then you got to figure out, if America goes down, how's the bunch of them do it anyway? It's hard to believe that Putin is going to be the man. That's hard to believe. Why would he protect Israel? Why would Putin protect Israel? Oh, he's here. He won't. He's here. 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 He's here.